This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. Got a great show for you today on episode number 519. We've got the new IAQA president, Mr. Jay State. Of course, the Z-Man will be with me here. We've got the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog joining us for the second half of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about a hurricane update uh, down in North Carolina. Jay's also in Charlotte. So great show. We're going to talk a little bit about after ASHRAE. What's the next chapter in the IAQA story? Before we get started, we want to thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to report that IAQ Susan Valenti from Danvers, Massachusetts, was first to identify school president Edward Orton as the person who insisted the addition of the word the would separate Ohio State from other Ohio colleges. The IAQ radio question for today, Friday, October 5, 2018, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here is today's trivia question. What do hurricanes Florence of 2018, Fred in 2015, Emily in 2005, Ivan 2004, and Hugo 1989 have in common? Back to you, Joe. Okay, today's guest is Mr. Jay State. Jay is the new president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. He's also the owner of J&J Consultants, a total indoor air quality assessment company, and president of Structural Sciences, Inc. Structural Sciences provides indoor air quality consulting services for the rest of the relocation industry throughout North America. He uses a network of 269 inspectors to assist with the relocation of clients in the network. Um, a lot of IAQA members are also part of that network. Jade, we have you on the line. Yes, you do. Thank Good you very much, Joe and Cliff. I appreciate that. It's great to see you, and uh, always, always a pleasure. You've been a good friend for years, and now you're the big dog on the IAQA watch here. Uh, tell listeners first a little bit about your reason, you know, why you got into the indoor air quality business, how you got started in this world. I know you came from a little different world. Yeah, uh, in my previous life, I was a hatchet man for a major lumber company. And then after that, I got into the chalkboard, visual display products industry. 
And after the gross profit kept dropping down, I got out a bit. And uh, my friend over in Raleigh, he's an engineer, so we got our home inspector license together. And they were talking about one of the class or one of the topics was mold. And that just perked my interest up. And I just started studying more and more on it, on the indoor air quality. And that's been that's been plus years ago. And I've been a member of IAQA for 20 years this year. You know, it's an interesting background. A lot of people I meet come from a home inspector background. They they started out as home inspectors, and some of them, many of them, still do home inspection. And uh, a lot of them have kind of specialized in indoor air quality and particularly mold inspection because that oftentimes is an issue on real estate transactions. Um, do you have any idea how many IAQA members are also home inspectors? I'm just, I don't know if we ever talked about that. Uh, right at the current time, we can't tell. Eventually, with this new transition to AH, we'll be able to break it down. How many are home inspectors? How many are contractors? How many are consultants? And that was just never one of the criteria on their webs not website, but in their development on uh, all the technology. So in the application to become a member, we really don't know for certain if they're home inspectors or not. Correct. Correct. Okay. And now, you, you've been on the board for three years. A lot has happened in three years. And even before that, you came on, um, I believe, when the management company had just changed from uh, the old company, Glenn Feldman's company. I don't remember the name of that company. Um, and then uh, we switched over to uh, ASHRAE. Um, what, whatever happened with Glenn Feldman's company? I don't think we've ever had a real good explanation for the members on, on what happened there, why we're no longer with them, and uh, what's going on with that. Well, with Glenn Feldman's company, they were our management company. There just wasn't cooperation. And, you know, he ended up with some problems. And if you want to, you know, research or anything, I would just recommend Googling Montgomery County Circuit Court in uh, Maryland and you can research it through that and it'll just give you the breakdown and I got on the board after we joined ASHRAE and uh, ASHRAE took over and that's been you know three years ten months ago that they took over for us and, and probably a total of four years or so maybe a little more you know, there was a lot of uh, excitement, I guess, whenever IAQA became a part of ASHRAE. And I don't know that people ever actually really understood the the relationship there that, you know, maybe whether IAQA was actually its own entity or whether they had become a part of ASHRAE and now it seems like they're separating out again. Could you kind of give listeners a little idea of how that went down? Sure. Um, is my volume better? Sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, what happened when we joined Dashray? We were, or we are, its own separate entity. Uh, they took us over via the bylaws. You know, there was no contract or anything like that. And that's how the switch was made, was just via the bylaws. And that's what got voted in back in January of. Uh, 
15. And uh, they control, you know, they're a good society organization or we're an association. And what we did wrong is we didn't have an association management where we were going to manage ourselves and we just didn't have the right people in the right places that needed to be. And that created a lot of problems uh, just in our strategic planning. You know, our membership, I won't lie, our membership's been uh, dwindling. And, uh, you know, the money was too, you know, which will make a big turnaround come November. That's when we officially begin with AH. And they have a team of professionals, and they're, one, they're the sixth largest association management company in the world. They manage over 40 associations. They manage 180 plus more associations for their conferences, key meetings, stuff like that. You know, their advertising, uh, their marketing. So it's an exciting time in IAQA, very. And with the board that we have now, we have the best board that's ever been. I mean, you know, with our VP, Michael Bowden, Sam Bergman, Melissa Helmick, Greg, John, who's on the phone, Alice Delia, Luke von Oldenburg, Richie, and Todd Stevens. I mean, they're all very creative in their thoughts. They have a lot of experience and just a wealth of knowledge. And that's who really is doing all the work, is the board. You know, I got the impression, and I don't know if many people realize this, but ASHRAE is a self-managed organization. They have their own staff. They don't have a management company. And I, I, I got the impression that the staff was not they weren't comfortable with managing an association. That's just not what they do. They, they run their own organization, but to, to manage another association was kind of outside of the realm of what they do. Did that, does that seem accurate to you? Yeah, that's real accurate. And what you said, they're not an association management company. You know, they have a society. You know, the majority of their people are engineers or PhDs in the mechanical engineering field. And that's, you know, they have uh, for the young engineers in college, and there's a lot of grassroots with their chapters or regional chapters that they have where, and I go back to a little story. If you have an electrical problem in your house, you call a licensed electrician. One, he does it more efficient. Two, He'll do it correctly. Three, you don't have to worry about your house burning. Or if you call Chuck in a truck, you know, he doesn't work with electrical all year. He's not licensed. You know, so then, you know, if he doesn't, you know, three, your house could burn down. And that's basically how I equate ASHRAE with us. We needed an association management company. And... You know, ASHRAE does what they do. They do it very good. But we needed very specialized care. 
you know, the other thing was that, and I'm, I'm going off script a little here, just, and I know you can handle yeah. that. Um, when in the past, IAQA's conference was a big part of the association and a big part of how they made money. And with the constraints on ASHRAE because of their contractual relationship with the people who run AH&R, their enormous, enormous exposition hall and their, 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 you know, their huge uh, conference that they have, uh, I got the impression that IAQ, they, their hands were kind of tied by the AHR uh, contract with respect to having IAQA be more prominent at their uh, at their convention. I mean, you kind of got lost in the crowd of, you know, 3,000 booths. You've got an IAQ pavilion of maybe 10 or 15 booths, maybe 20. Uh, and you just kind of got lost in the, in the crowd. Is, is, was that part of the reasoning behind moving um, away from ASHRAE and toward AH? Yeah, that's one of the reasons. There's a lot of, you know, reasons that kind of t- intertwine. We were limited to the type of exhibitors we could have. We couldn't have some of the old exhibitors that we used to have when we did our conference ourselves. So the last conference we'll be doing with uh, AHR and ASHRAE will be next January. And that's the conference? In Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta. Okay, so you'll be, you'll, IAQA will still have their little separate kind of co-located conference at AHR in January in Atlanta. Correct. And that has not been affected by this change. Correct. Okay. And then do you have any plans you can tell listeners about for conventions or conferences down the road? Okay. Uh, for the 2020, uh, the conference committee is meeting with AH the week after next to start discussing the 2020 conference and uh, start laying game plans out. Uh, one of the things uh, happened is we just hired a new executive director, Brandon Green. He's going to be a valuable asset. I met with him the other day. He had just all kinds of ideas, and he's the type, he thinks out of the box. High energy. And AH is in um, New Jersey, correct? They're in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Correct. Exit four off the turnpike. All right. So it's still fairly close to that D.C. area where a lot of your associations are, but uh, probably far enough away where they're not paying D.C. rent. Uh, but, you know, it's... Yeah, but they're paying Jersey rent. <laughs> Jersey taxes, yeah. Jersey taxes can be rough, buddy. Yeah, right. garbage removal is really expensive in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know... I got the impression, and I've, I've not been on the board for many years, but I talked to many board members. We had John Lapotere on the show many times. Um, we've talked to actually every IAQA president since we've been doing the show. We've had, I think, every president on to talk a little bit about IAQA. Um, I got the impression that uh, when this change occurred and ASHRAE took, essentially took control of IAQA, IESO was – uh, rolled up into the ASHRAE uh, standard-making group or standard-writing 
uh, group there, and they, they're, they're no longer in existence. Um, so there's a lot of loose ends that still need to be tied up. And as I understood it, ASHRAE was pretty much in control of, of IAQA's destiny uh, after the agreement was made. But it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that they've been really cooperating very well with you, and, and they see that the IAQA uh, board and, and I guess some of the members have expressed a desire to go back on, you know, to go back to doing it on their own. And it seems like they're working really uh, well with you. Would that be accurate to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, ASHRAE, they have an ad hoc committee of three people. We have an ad hoc committee of three people, and which is Sam, Greg, and Michael. They've been, all six of them have been working really good with each other. Um, it's just, it's been a lot better than I ever thought it would be. And it's just moving along. And we're working out some of the details, like the standards, how those are going to be uh, handled once we take them over again. And like you said, IESO, it was dissolved, but it wasn't, you know, totally eliminated. It still exists uh, within that state it was incorporated on. And however, we decide to proceed with the standards. And there has to be some agreements made with like RIA with the fire standards and stuff like that. And with the school standard, we've gone through two public reviews. Uh, we're in a process, we're about two thirds done with responding to all the public review answers. And once that goes out, we could take it in and basically we could publish it then without being ANSI accredited or anything. And then once we get the ANSI accreditation, we could switch it into that ANSI accreditation. Because like NACA, their biggest standard isn't ANSI accredited. It's just the standard they did on their own. And, uh, you know, then along with the standards, we're looking at developing educational programs with them. Uh, because that's what we were known for back in the day, was education, the networking, the support of each other. And the conference uh, was a big right. deal back in the day. So <clears throat> you still do plan on, on continuing to write the standards, uh, uh, continuing with the ones that you already have. Well, there's one that's already been published, though, that uh, soot in mechanical systems, I think. Yeah. What will happen with that one? Do you know? Uh, they'll still just keep uh, gone on as because we're discussing maybe with another – association that is ANSI accredited, see if we can come up with some kind of arrangement. And I mean, everything's open right now. Still a lot of loose ends. Well, let's go back to one of the key components of any organization, and that's your bylaws. And, and, and I think, um, as I understand it, you've been doing a lot of work on I'm trying to get the bylaws because apparently the bylaws had to be changed when, um, uh, when ASHRAE took control of the organization, and now they may need to be changed again. Can you give listeners just some idea of where we're at on that? I, I mean, obviously you can't go into too much detail, but just give us an idea of where that is. Yeah, the bylaws, is ba that's how, not basically, that's how ASHRAE took us over was via the bylaws. And uh, In that there was no con contract. They just changed the bylaws. Correct. They changed them, voted them in. Uh, they made the votes, but 
there's some technical difficulties in that part, and I'll just leave it at that. <clears throat> and since that we've rewritten all the bylaws, we have a meeting next week on the bylaws, you know, the board does, and there's going to be a lot of changes in different structures, different things going into policies, just to make IAQA run more efficiently without all the red tape where it's just going to all be in the better of the membership. So it seems like you want to streamline the bylaws, move some of the information in the current bylaws into more policy. Is that kind of what you're saying there? That's putting it in a simplistic term, yeah. Okay. And I, obviously that's something that uh, is going to need some work. What about the membership? Will the membership have any uh, – I mean, they obviously – we have to trust those that we elected to the board to do the right thing. Um, but, um, you know, will, will they vote on the bylaw changes or is that just not? No, that'll be just strictly uh, with the board of directors that will vote on the bylaws. And I assume, you know, this is already a done deal. So the membership's not going to vote just like we didn't get a vote on whether we joined ASHRAE or not, which I thought was really very, uh, I was uh, disappointed to say the least. We didn't get a vote on that. Uh, I think it would have probably passed very easily, but it just seemed like the membership should have had a vote on it. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to say, recommend that in the future, if there's any changes like that, you know, why not have the membership have a say in it? I believe in total transparency for the membership. But then you got to look at, you know, what we're doing right now. It requires quick action, and we want to make sure we do everything right this time. You know, from the executive director on the bylaws to make things a lot more simpler, make things a lot more cost efficient. And uh, like I said, transparency. You know, we'll start releasing our financials to the membership, and on any of my letters out there, you know, my personal cell phone, my emails out there. So if members need to get in contact with me, they have total access to me. And financials. How is the financial state of the association at this point? Do we have money in the bank? Uh, are we, yeah, we still have money in the bank. We don't have as much money as we have years ago. And that's one of the main reasons why we're making this switch to AH is, you know, the board members, we have a fiduciary responsibility to all the members who elected us in. And that's one of the driving forces with me is we got to make sure we give a return on the investment, which is your due, your time. I want to make sure they feel comfortable writing that check out or giving us the credit card and saying, hey, here's where the due. And maybe I'm misunderstanding, but it seemed like um, we've been, we've seen a, a down, downward trend in membership, which probably means there's been a downward trend in the amount of income coming in. And there was a, a big increase, as I understand it, in the cost of running the organization through ASHRAE. They're not an you know, inexpensive group to work with. Um, what about the current situation? Are we using, do we have just a basic, you know, like 
percent of the income type agreement with AH? Yeah, uh, we're negotiating that right now. We're going through looking at their scope of work, what they proposed. Uh, we changed a couple things, shot back to them. So this is in the negotiation, but they know up front, they've seen our financials, and we know just from past history and plus from other organizations they run, you know, it'll be a substantial savings. I mean, typically you're looking at about, what, 50% of your income goes to running the, the organization or somewhere around there? But yeah, somewhere in there, give or take. Uh, right now, we're upwards in the 72, you know, 70 plus percent. You okay. know, some months it's been as high as 80 plus percent. And that's where, that's just not in the best interest of our members. Okay. And I see a text question. What is AH? And I, I think, uh, so if you could just mention one more time who AH is, John, or Jay. Okay, Fred. Our, <laughs> uh, AH is Association Headquarters. They're uh, centered in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. They manage over 40-plus associations, and then they do business partnerships with another 180-plus where they handle their conferences or meetings, their marketing, their advertising, their membership. So, And they've been around 40-plus years. And they managed uh, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association for right. about but Which they have years. done a world of good for NADCA. Yeah, I've heard uh, NADCA's been very happy and the, the board's been very happy with their management. So, good. All right. Um, John, we're all right. Okay. John just gave me a, a funny look like we, were, we, we just lost everything. But I think everybody's still here. All right. Um, Jay, oh, first, Cliff, anything you'd like to uh, ask before we get closer to halftime? Yeah, I, I, I do, Jay. Um, okay, go ahead. I suppose that um, there may have been some sorts of limitations uh, when IAQA and ASHRAE, uh, you know, were joined at the hip in terms of IAQA being able to enter into memorandums of understanding with other organizations and, uh, you know, swap booth space and, and, and so on and so forth. And I suspect that now you're not going to have any limitations. You can, it's going to be freedom. You can do whatever you want. Is that correct? That's put in a pretty simple terms. <laughs> yeah. Right. No right. yeah, there were uh, a lot of limitations to what we could do with booths or swapping booths and everything like that. And we've been talking with other associations already not for the 2019, but for the 2020 conference. And that's in the works. And, that, and that's why I said AH is already, you know, they're getting involved with the 2020 conference. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't think uh, we may want to mention, too, that um, the AHR booths, uh, to, to be an exhibitor, are, are very expensive, um, at least, that's my understanding, Jay, that um, they uh, they were pretty much almost double what our vendors were used to paying um, at the old uh, IAQA conferences. Is that accurate? Yeah, and uh, ASHRAE doesn't run their exhibits. AHR runs their exhibits, and they're the ones 
and they give ASHRAE a percentage of all their revenues from their exhibits. And they have their set rules, and you go to abide by because you know it's the largest conference for that type of industry in the world. World, yeah, and they're—I mean, Ashray's hands were tied by that contract as well. It's not like they—they they didn't want to work with you. They couldn't really do much yeah. more than what they yeah, did. They were totally hands off, and it was AHR. Okay, I've got a text question. Um, can you talk a little more about the new transparency to members? Uh, the last deal was really fast and not discussed with members, and um, I know you're trying to get the word out here today about the. Uh, the, the changeover, and it's kind of the same. You know, we, most people are just learning about it right now, but I guess um, it's kind of tough to try and announce in advance that you're, in, you're thinking about doing this, so you're kind of caught in a catch-22. But tell us a little more about the new transparency. Okay. Uh, I was just reading uh, Susan. Uh, Susan, yeah. yeah. And she said, uh, I just, the last deal was really fast. And I'm assuming she meant ASHRAE. And I wasn't on the board back then, but I knew months in advance because, you know, uh, the former president, Kent, and, you know, Way would come on to the IESO and explain what was going on with ASHRAE. And there was just a lot of not clear communication on what was happening. And... With our transparency, yeah, we did keep a lot of things that was gone on uh, since we are gone to AH. They have a history of turning associations around to making sure that there is going to be a return for the members. Like I said, we're going to start making our financials public. Anybody wants it, they will be able to get them. Um, you know, one of the things we're going to do... Uh, which hasn't been done, we're going to have an audit review done. Okay. IAQA. Uh, just different things like that. And uh, Any, you know, any we, thoughts on opening up the board meetings? Um, you know. Totally. I would love the board meetings to be open to anybody that wants to go there. Okay. Yeah, uh, if they want to ask questions, you have to submit your questions beforehand. So then it can be worked in on the agenda. Okay. Because if I remember right, somebody just submitted a question a week or two ago and asked if he could present that question at the 2019 board meeting in January. And that's one of the other things we're going to do is when our conference, like 2020, uh, when we joined ASHRAE, we never had our general membership meeting during the conference. We had them in, you know, in the middle of the year. And that's, to me, not fair to the general membership because they already went to the conference. Now right. you're asking them to pay again to go somewhere else. And this way, we're going to get back to having our general membership at our conference and uh, discuss everything. Okay. Jay, we've got uh, a new IAQA president, Jay Stake. Uh, great interview today talking about the next chapter in the IAQA after ASHRAE. We're going to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds. 
IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got IAQA President John uh, Jay Stake. I don't know why I want to call you John Stake today, Jay, but uh, anyway, Jay. Before we uh, broke for halftime, we're talking about some of the changes with IAQA. One of the things that I really miss personally was the old uh, indoor environments, the magazine that. Uh, you know, for years we got that magazine, and I know that uh, Susan with Healthy Indoors is uh, listening in here. And I know at one point there was a, and maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe my mind's not as clear as it should have been. I believe at one point we had something where there was an IAQA member or IAQA report within Healthy Indoors. And um, I remember years ago we had a monthly president's newsletter that came out. Um, you know, and I know that uh, over the years we've had some of that kind of come and go. I'm wondering what kind of plans you have or thoughts you have on on better ways of communicating with the membership. That's all under consideration right now. And we're going to start laying out a new game plan with AH and the new executive director to be able, what you just said, communicate with our members a lot more effectively. Any thoughts about a magazine or um, maybe joining forces with other magazines? Um, I, I know it's kind of tough to say no, right now. That's all under consideration. Okay. All. all right. You know, we're not saying no, we're not going to entertain that or anything like that. We're just going to look at every possible avenue for our members. Okay, and what about the chapters? Um, what will happen with the chapters? Will, will we still have the same chapter program, or will there be uh, maybe, you know, you, over the last few years, there's kind of been, because we were with ASHRAE, there's been more of an international push, and we have a, a, an Australian chapter. There's a chapter, I believe, in China. There's a chapter in India. Uh, will those all still continue as is? Will there be a well, new focus? Yeah, uh, those chapters will 
keep operating as is. And my belief is, let's take care of our home front first. Let's start working on our chapters here. Uh, I've been really involved, gone to chapter meetings and chapter events, and we're in the process of changing how they're set up, how everything functions within the chapter, and we're going to give the chapters the tools they need, and they've been asking for years to grow. And what about um, any thoughts on maybe some, you know, I noticed that your New Jersey chapter, um, I don't know if it's Trenton, I believe it is, Trenton, New yeah. Jersey, Wade, Dr. Wade Tang. Um, they have a little conference every year, and um, I'm wondering if there are thoughts about maybe some regional conferences in addition to the annual. Yep, that's all under consideration right now. You okay. know, we're looking at all the different areas, and along with other associations, um, basically to help our industry and our associations plus our affiliated associations and make sure you know it gives what our members need the education the networking and the help and one final area that i think a lot of members would be interested in and that's the certification um many years ago probably 13 years ago now we had the unification and consolidation um, different people have different thoughts on how well that worked out, but IAQA gave up their certifications. American IAQ Council is, was the only group that IAQA, well, not the only group, but they took over all the certifications and gave up their membership. IAQA gave up all their certifications and only did membership. And it, it seems like um, in some ways it's worked, in other ways it hasn't worked. Any thoughts on uh, anything you can tell listeners about thoughts the board has now about the certification issue? Yeah, we're going to be addressing the certification or probably certification of programs or certificate of programs and tied in with our education and give, like I said, give the members what they need, whether it's the training on meth labs, fentanyl, or tied into our standards, kind of like NACA did with their cleaning standard, to where it gives the people uh, their certificate of program for the mold and moisture assessor for educational facilities. Then we could tie it into residential uh, buildings, change it eventually into commercial and industrial buildings. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of balls up in the air right now, and I'm sure you want member feedback. How can members get their feedback to you? Uh, once we switch to AH, uh, we'll have all those emails. Everything will be transferred over November 1st, the phone calls, but they can reach me on my cell, which is 704-232-0077. Okay, Jay. Or my email is jandjgivethanks at yahoo.com. And that's one of the other things I want to bring back into IAQA is I want to see us get involved in more charitable work. Okay. Yeah, I know you were big on that. Um, you had the, you shaved your head, actually, I believe, about five years ago. Yeah. Uh, 
That was for a blood drive. Yep. If you get the quota, they got to shave my head. Yep, and they made it. So very interesting. All right, the other thing we want to um, talk a little bit about, we've got the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog joining us. Um, you know, we want to get a little update. You're in Charlotte, North Carolina right now, and I'm wondering what, uh, you know, what, what the impact uh, from Hurricane Florence was in your area and what you're hearing from members and others about the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Florence in North Carolina, South Carolina area. When I'm done, I want to bring in Pete and Cliff and let them go ahead. I know Pete's also gotten some feedback from RIA members on this issue. You got, can you hear me, Jay? Yeah. Okay. What, so how did, how did Charlotte do after Hurricane Florence? We had flooding down there where I live. I live about 50 miles north. We got about 12 inches of rain. We weren't affected here except a tree fell down because the ground was just so wet and knocked our uh, power out for about six hours. Down in uh, Charlotte, near the creeks, they always get flooding. If it's more than an inch of rain, they start getting flooding, and that's what hurt them. But when you go east of us, you know, my heart goes out to them because they were still having waters uh, raised clean up to this past weekend. But several and, weeks after the actual hurricane, the water was still rising. And have you talked to any members or um, any of your, your inspectors in the area? Are they getting enough resources? Are there enough contractors, enough IEPs? I'll be honest, I haven't gotten many calls and. Last year, after the, the trifecta there of uh, hurricanes that hit, you know, I got calls about we need help here, we need help there. It seems like things are a little better under control after this particular event than after the three we got hit with last year. Was that been your? Uh, has that been your um, experience? I haven't heard anybody yet. You know, from over there, I'm going over there next Wednesday to meet with the president of the Baptist relief, disaster relief, and that'll give me a, a better basis. But uh, normally I hear from FEMA and, you know, PB on uh, their disaster inspection. And that seems pretty quiet right now. Yeah, you're on a list with FEMA, aren't you? And, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what yeah. is that, like a FEMA certified or how is that? Uh you go through, uh, you do your security clearance, and then uh, you're approved through that. Then you can do subcontract work for FEMA. I see. Well, let's bring the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete, do we have you on the line? Let's see, John, can you bring Pete in? Hey, guys. There he is. Hi, Pete. Pete, um, like to get a little update from you. I know you've been talking to RIA members in that North Carolina, South Carolina area. What What are you hearing with respect to um, what's happening on the ground? Well, you know, some of the listeners remember the hurricane was actually in in progress when we had that RIA content show a few weeks ago, and it still continued after that. I mean, it kind of hovered. You know, you mentioned last year. So if I if I compare this hurricane from what I've heard from the members and a lot of the national players, if you compare it to, to Matthew two years ago and then uh, the trifecta last year, 
One of the big differences is it, it appears that most of the damage this year really was just with the Carolinas. It didn't branch out as much in the Georgia, Virginia, and the surrounding states where the last two years, it kind of hit that whole Atlantic coast pretty hard. Now, you also have the coastal areas, obviously, that were hit the hardest, and the hurricane was real slow moving, and it hung out there and just dumped a lot of rain. That was similar to the Harvey situation last year. So what's happened is almost all the national players all mobilized in the surrounding cities that weren't being pounded, like Raleigh, Charlotte, you know, in the outer, outer lying areas. Because, number one, it was difficult to get into the, to the sections uh, that were closed down. You also had a situation where um, the police were on guard. There was looting and things of that nature. Uh, that matter of fact, with Myrtle Beach in particular, a lot of that stuff is actually on all the local news channels, cable, et cetera. Um, what, what the big, a couple of the big issues that are going on is the first thing is there's a lot of issues about insurance coverage in, in these rural areas, um, and in the coastal towns. Um, even though the, the hurricane moved in and there was a lot of rain and there was flooding, you know, like Jay said in Charlotte and some of these other cities, the bigger areas where there's going to be commercial work, but there's also normally a lot of times there's going to be coverage for that kind of stuff. But in some of these other areas where the flooding and you see, you know, the guys in the, in the boats and whatnot, they, they normally don't have coverage for that. Um, a lot of our members, uh, the big thing, as in any of these events, that's really lacking, or the big need is generators and the power issues are big. A lot of our members I talked to were renting that kind of equipment because, you know, the big suppliers like Sunbelt and them, they either have regular deals or they basically sell out pretty quick. So uh, a lot of guys were, were they were being reached, um, uh, not through social media, but just through search, in, search engine uh you know, uh, request and things of that nature. And so I know there was a lot of that going on. The other thing that I heard, and this was surprising, and this is the first time that I've ever heard this in all the hurricane years. I heard it from a very reliable source, but, you know, dribs and drabs here and there, is that that there's, a, there's, 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 there's people who come into those areas looking for work who are making promises that they'll cover deductibles and they'll take whatever the, whatever coverages the insurance companies have to do to work. Hmm. Uh, that's a big mistake. Uh, who knows how, what kind of exposure guys will have if they do that. Is that legal? Well, I, I don't know whether it's legal or not. I mean, it might not be legal, and uh, it's hard to tell. It kind of goes from a state-to-state thing, you know, listening to guys like Ed Cross and others over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, the answer is it depends. But the big thing is I, I would find that hard to believe that the locals would do that because you know, locals have to live in those areas. What happens is when you get the people that come from out of town – they got, I mean, I don't know, I'm just speculating here, but they got to figure they have a lot of uh, investment to get there and they just want to get work and get crews going and, and they're willing to take the risk. But, um, you know, not, nonetheless, that's the kind of thing that, that gives a bad image and kind of, I don't, I don't think it's good for the industry. I think most people would agree with that. So um, the other thing is the receding of the water, particularly in the Carolinas, there's a lot of areas, and this was the case with both Matthew and, um, the overflow last, last year, really in Matthew year, more so than last year with the big three, because that was more in Florida, um, is uh, it takes a long time for the water to go down. And so there's still a bunch of claims that are going to be coming in, and the water is, is not down in some areas. And, uh, you know, it hasn't receded. So I, I think um, many of these claims come in for, uh, months afterwards. There's still work and there's still things going on. I mean, it's not the long-term rebuild that you had after Katrina and Sandy that went on for years and years and years. Um, but I think there's a lot. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you compare it to last year, uh, both in Texas and in Florida, 
it, a lot of major cities were hit, huge population bases. And mm-hmm. so there was just a lot more work and a lot of activity. So like with you and Jay and you guys commenting, hey, you know, we haven't got any calls like we did in years past. That part of it is just that there, there may not, there may be more of a, of a uh, supply than the actual demand requires. And people, the biggest thing I keep hearing over and over, people just don't know where the money's coming from and they're all on edge with that. So that puts both the claimants at edge and it also obviously puts the contractors, the people with it, what kind of risk they're willing to take on edge too. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been hearing, what's been going on. I, you know, as many of you know, a lot of the guys on this call, because they know me, I'm taking a look at all the people on here and I'm having a little text saying hello to my friends. And number one, this looks like a, like a mini summer camp reunion with everybody that's called in. Um, I'm really glad to see uh, a lot of the old time um, IQA members, a lot of my summer camp friends that are calling in live to listen to the show. Of course, uh, it'll be a much wider audience will get the news when uh you know cliff does a wonderful job that he does in his blogs to kind of capture all the key points so i think that's great um i, I don't know i i'm not sure I, I how how visually well i'm coming in over here although you guys were giving me a bunch of uh, you know give me a hard time when i first called in because they're trying to get the light and telling me i look like i'm in a witness protection program so anyway mr vic there told me he said i look oh i look fine you guys are overplaying that but uh but if anyone's interested i disclosed location in lawrence kansas and i'm under the protection of the jayhawk family for whatever that's worth <laughs> um, hey, let me let me ask you this um you're an advisor to the RIA, and I'm wondering, you know, RIA and IAQA had worked together on some standards. Do you have any questions for Jay? Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was I, I, I figured you wanted to kind of finish this hurricane segment, and then, you know, we're almost moving into the roundup. I actually do have some questions for Jay, and I have um, – uh, well, w- well, for one thing, Joe, I think you and Cliff – you guys had some really good questions. Uh, Jay, you did a wonderful job really answering them. You know, some of them are politically sensitive. Some things you can share, maybe other things, like you said, a lot of stuff is still on the table and is still in progress. And, you know, we get that. Um, so uh, just to, to recap a couple things, I don't want to be clear, Jay, and you can comment if I'm wrong. So it sounds like you guys have went back to being your own standalone association. You've cut ties with ASHRAE. You now have the new management company. And you're, you're kind of in a transition phase over the next year or two because there may have been some deals that were already in place regarding your convention and some of the other programs, the standards, you know, some of the standards that may either be in development and review or under some kind of a protest. So that you're, but you're moving towards, this is what I understand from, if I'm wrong, let me know. You're moving towards being a standalone association with a management company who is going to be able to do your own convention your own um, uh, standard setting to resurrect the ISO, uh, pull it pull it off the you know off the pile. It's like the Phoenix coming back, and um, and which means you have to kind of renegotiate the the different deals that you have, and you're also um, going to be looking to getting back into some level of certification before the uh, consolidation deal. Um, is that correct? Is that is that where it's all going? And we'll know more over the next year or two. Am I correct in that oh, understanding? We'll, we'll know all a lot more within a year. Uh, yeah, we're going to be a standalone association, and we may join with other associations. You know, through for conferences, etc. Uh, for the standards, we may not re give birth again to IESO. You know, if we get tied into another association that has the ANSI accreditation, 
we may do that. Like okay. I said, we're looking at every possible aspect, what is best for the members. Okay. Well, I, I, that's what I got. And I know that some of this stuff is fluid, but it sounds like that's the direction you're going in and there'll be some different options and you can, you, you know, you'll go through your due diligence and, and make those comments. So obviously it sounds, I think it's good. You want to be more transparent, you know, giving your cell phone out, you're available to the members. I think a lot of people, you know, will appreciate that. Um, and it went leaked. So from my perspective as being an REA guy and really just a guy who liked to see the industry, you know, be less, uh, you know, have uh, less division, if you would, and get the different groups that overlap, and particularly when we have a lot of crossover of constituents, that we work better, we find common, you know, common goals that we can advance the industry. So I think with IAQA going in that direction, and for a lot of the reasons that you talked about um, for the last couple of years, when you happen with ASHRAE, is number one, you could probably be a lot easier to make MOUs with the different partner groups that you want to network with. Uh, number two, um, you can get back to, I mean, IQA and RAA for many, many years had, uh, we used to swap the convention booths. And uh, of course that was not able to done with the uh, AHR. I mean, I, my understanding that even Ashley has to pay to, in those four, the four companies, the four associations that, so, that gave the show to that big group, you know, every third year they have to, in January, they have to be in Chicago, but they also have to pay to have boots at their own show. So I think that'll be good if groups can, you know, have the flexibility to do that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it sounds like that's all on the table. Uh, you know, the, the standards and certification, obviously these are really, you know, hot, hot button issues. Um, so I got two, two things. One question is, is there anything that you can report to the, to the members and to the listeners of the show? on the status of the industry alliance and all those associations that, that are working together. You know, when, when John was president, uh, IEQA took the lead and six, seven, eight associations that had similar interests to get together and try to have some common MOU and work together. And now it's on your watch. Anything you can report on that, Jay? Yeah, we're sending out an MOU. Since you're talking about MOUs, we're sending out the MOU to all the allied industry partners and that should be gone out in about one to two weeks and then we'll just go from there could, could you tell us who all the, the partners are that are actually in the pipeline who are getting these mous and you're looking to work with icrc ria uh, eia um natca in there yeah natca is on it natca uh there's a total of uh seven or eight of us Maybe John. I think if John's still John. listening, we could touch. Well, yeah, you got AJ uh, with the Abra people. Abra. I don't think Abra was on that. Okay. How about, about joining it. How about AIHA? Yes, they were on it. Now, yeah. would would Ashray be qualified for that in some kind of context of being an association, even with the thing? I mean, what's what's the thoughts on that? That's kind of that's like a new dynamic now, man. Well, they're a society; they're not an association, okay. and um, you know that'd be something we could always discuss. You know, I'm not shutting anybody off, or you know, doors are always open for anybody. Okay. You know, okay. if there's something okay. in there that can help us, and we can help them, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I got one last thing, and then. Uh, and I think Cliff and myself are on the same page on this. And you, you had made a comment, Jay, or maybe Joe did, 
you know, after all these years now that the industry has went through this, this whole uh, ANSI process, um, I, you know, I question number one, what does it do for our customers and how, how does it actually help the industry and help the customers of the different associations who decide to go down the Sansi road? This is kind of a rhetorical question because if you look at NACA, NACA has done their own thing for many years and their standards are, are very well regarded, are specified, uh, a lot of GSA contracts, things of that nature that uh, you have to follow the NACA standards if you're going to bid on some of these big duck cleaning jobs and things of that nature. Um, if you look before we went down the third party certification road, all right, after the consolidation, um, you know, uh, how does it help people to, to have to go down that third party and that rigorous road? You know, what's the benefit? And like I said, this is a tongue in cheek and I ask it rhetorically because if, if people, you know, follow a good rigorous process, if they put their own guards in to reach consensus, to let everybody be heard, versus you're forced to have to do it under the under the ANSI process and these third-party certifications. Um, you know, I, I don't know, when you look back after all these years, I'm wondering, you know, how does it help the, the members, the industry, and the customers we serve? Because it seems that most of the people who have went down those roads with either ANSI and or the third party, they use it to divide the industry and they use it to market and advance their personal interest versus trying to help the greater industry at large. I don't want to name names and heck most of the people that are on this call are insiders and you're, we know what we're talking about, but it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm just wondering if we're hitting the reset button and a lot of things that the industry is doing as we're kind of looking to find common ground and people we could work with, you know, how, how important is it that we continue to do that stuff? I mean, has the train left the station and it ain't stopping anymore? We're just stuck with it or not. I don't know, but I've had discussions with Cliff about this and a lot of others and, I, I would I throw that out on the floor for comment. And anyway, I you guys, uh, it's a good show, Jay. Um, appreciate your input and your honesty, and and good luck to the IQA and uh, you know everything that you all are doing, and certainly anywhere that REA can help. I mean, I know that REAs over the years. I mean, I can't formally speak for association, nor would I, but I will tell you that I think we've always had the attitude that if there's another group of people we could work with that share our values and we have common interests. We're always willing to talk. Any groups that are not willing to talk, well, and I don't think they serve the members, they serve the industry. So good luck with it. And uh, I'll see you down the road, my friend. Okay, thank you very much. All right, Jay, what do you think on that ANSI question? Uh, yes and no. And the third party. I think they're both related. The third party, too, the same issues. Yeah, CESB. And it can go through the ANSI. And there's standards out there that didn't go through the ANSI process that are very good, you know, like the NACA standard. Yeah. And uh, that's basically the Bible in the industry. And if so, we put it out, like for the school mold standard, and it's used, and we keep doing the review, keep tweaking it, and because our ultimate goal is basically to give the consumer something for their protection to put some consistency in the industry. And in turn, the industry becomes a better place for everybody. You know, I've got a couple quick comments before we have to call it a day. But first of all, uh, John Lapoter, thanks. He posted the uh, names of the um, groups that are a part of that MOU and that uh, hopefully will continue to be. 
Also, I uh, want to make a note that uh, Don Weeks uh, asked, the, you know, his comment was he's hoping IAQA will continue with the IEQ uh, GA, which is the the global alliance that um, Don is now, I believe, president of. And uh, I think that's another interesting group that uh, probably I'm, I'm sure IAQA will still continue to support. Um, and also, I want to give Cliff the last chance for any final questions or thoughts. Um, Jay, I have a question for you. Did A couple weeks ago, we had a, a show with Dr. Steve Spivak, and I'm not sure whether or not you listened uh, to that particular show. But, you know, he talked all about standards because he's really an expert on standards. And uh-huh. you know, to kind of uh, probably disagree with w- what Pete said is, according to Dr. Spivak, standards are competitive. And it's about marketing your standard and so on and so forth. And um, that's, I think that's just part of it, Pete. There are some, some associations that do use the standards as the basis of their financial standards. Understood. And, and I agree with Pete that they use them to divide the industry. But yeah, that's then you have like NACA who gives their main standard out free, no charge. Understood. Yep. Very interesting topic. Um, Jay, before we break, and, and by the way, listeners, stick around for the end. I've got the uh, – we've, we've got a contest going for the Healthy Building Summit. Uh, we want to name our mascot, and also if you can name all the instruments that the mascot is uh, holding or uh, are in that graphic – We've got a nice prize for you there, too. We're going to keep that open for another week here until next Friday at noon. But, Jay, uh, before you go, any final thoughts, any comments, uh, final thoughts for listeners? Uh, The only final thoughts is I, myself, and plus all the other board members, you know, we're accessible to you. If you have any thoughts, questions, don't hesitate to ask. I'll make sure if anything comes to me, you know, with all my travels, I pick up the phone, I'll answer. If I don't answer, I'm usually in a meeting, but I'll call you right back when I'm done. Uh, I just want to make sure we give the members what they need, answers and information. All right. Well, with that, Jay, I think that's a good way to, to wrap things up. I also want to uh, put up on the on the screen, John, our, our mascot, we're, we're trying to name the mascot. Uh, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, at the controls. John, you got to have faith. And the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, this week's guest, IAQA President, Mr. Jay Stake. Thanks so much, Jay. I got a lot of nice comments already about the show. Um, I think it's a great way to start things off. Um, now that John Lapoter has handed over the keys to IAQA to you, uh, looking forward to having you on regularly to update listeners on where IAQA is and where they're headed. So uh, much appreciate you joining us today. And, of course, our growing group of loyal listeners. Uh, we've got a quick uh, little section here on the Healthy Building Summit coming up a little over two weeks from now at Seven Springs Resort. Jay will be there. Uh, We've got a a great lineup of speakers, including Dr. Jordan Petcha will be one of our keynotes, and Jeff May. Can't miss Jeff May. So we'll be back next Friday for the next – oh, by the way, great show again next week. We've got Mr. Rusty Amarante joining us uh, with Belfour. 
Should be a very interesting show. We'll also follow up a little more on how things are going after the Hurricane Florence and uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. I'm sure they have a lot of work going on down there. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks and come back next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio. It's the 2018 Healthy Building Summit, October 25th through the 27th at Seven Springs Mountain Resort in the gorgeous Laurel Highlands of southwestern Pennsylvania. Network and practitioners, prominent researchers, and industry leaders in an intimate and informal setting. This year's theme is IEQ, Remediation and Restoration, Research to Practice. This is the only industry event that performs live research and links researchers and practitioners. Marquee sponsors include Hayward Score, helping people live healthier lives, and Particles Plus, count on us. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.